some time ago, April and I met a missionary that goes to Africa every year. And what he does is he takes with him that 1979 Jesus film. How many of y'all have seen that? 1979 version? Some of y'all are like, no, I'll tell you how it looks. They found an Englishman in, in, in England, and uh, he has blue eyes. Uh, he's a whole lot wider than I am. He's got a really terrible beard. And the story is not shot well. I mean, if we're just being honest in the room today, it's just not the best. Uh, but he takes it with him, and he has this blow-up screen, and he takes it to these tribes in Africa, and, and he works for about three days with this tribe talking to people about the truth of the gospel and, and telling them, you really need to come see this film. And every time he shows it, they show up by the thousands. And they sit on the ground. And I don't know about y'all, but uh, we have a movie theater in town now that has recliners, which just shows up for the rest of the movies uh, here in town. They need to catch up. But these people sit on rocks and dirt, and they sit for hours in the sun, waiting till the sun goes down so they can show the movie. And the movie begins, and it's through the life of Jesus. And the most amazing thing about it is he said you can watch the emotion of, of the people because it comes to the part where Jesus is in the garden praying, and he's, he's crying out, and he's praying that not his will but God's will would be done. And the people begin to murmur every time. They, they begin to talk and say, you can talk to God? And then comes Jesus' trial. And then they start to put the crown of thorns upon his head, and they begin to mock him. And the people of Africa stand to their feet and scream at the screen, how dare you? They cry out, you're a mockery. Somebody save this man. And then when they put Jesus on the cross, they wail. The women cover their heads. They turn their back on the screen. They can't imagine what's happening. They begin to yell insults at the people that brought the movie. How dare you show us a righteous man that's killed? He said in that moment, weeping pours out. They put their arms around their young ones. But it doesn't stop there. The movie doesn't stop. Because then it shows Jesus rising from the grave. And at this point, they all jump to their feet. They're not planned out. He doesn't put them out in the crowd that hopes this happens. They instinctively jump to their feet and begin to tribal chant and celebrate and sing songs to one another. Because the man who was perfect, who they placed on a cross, has risen and beat death. And that was worth celebrating to them. So the question is this this Easter. Why come to church on Easter? Uh, because uh, let's just give some realities. So far this Sunday, we've sang songs about blood. Anybody catch that? I don't know about you, but if I'm out eating uh, next Sunday and I'm at a restaurant and over the loudspeaker they're playing blood songs, what are you and I going to do? We are going to leave because that's weird, right? Uh, let's just talk some other realities. Death. We sang about death today. Isn't that awesome? Anybody else bothered by that? Blood and death today? So, I mean, we showed up on an Easter Sunday, and what did we sing about, and what are we about to talk about? Blood and death. The doors are there, 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 and there. And I'm going to be like, see ya. Um, because it's awkward, it's weird, and, 
and if we're just being real honest today, we live in a church culture. I mean, if, if you've been born in Texas or Oklahoma or anywhere around New Mexico, you're in a church culture. Whether you know it or not, when we talk about things like the death of Jesus, we're okay with that. When we talk about his blood being poured out for our sins, we're like, yeah, I've heard that before. But if we're being really honest today, we would say that's a little bit weird. That seems odd. And for somebody that hasn't grown up in church culture, it would seem almost sick, right? So why do we come to church on an Easter Sunday? We come to church on an Easter Sunday because something happens, even in church culture, that also happens in African tribes watching the Jesus film. It doesn't end with a cross. If that's where this story ends, I would almost guarantee you none of us would be here today. But it doesn't end there. You know, we're in this series called Not the End. Last week we talked about Hosanna, how those people cried out, help us, save us, do something on our behalf. And this week we're going to talk about something that is frankly somewhat easterly but not complete. And that's this word, crucify. And I want to give you some, some kind of maybe some foreknowledge before we get into the sermon that crucifixion was common. Crucifixion isn't, you know, just Jesus and these two criminals and that was the only time in history this ever happens. This would have been a common thing for criminals. It was a way of showing a, another criminal, stop, or this is going to be you. So they'd put him down the streets. And if you can imagine as you're entering in a city and you saw men hanging on crosses and above them was what they were crucified for, you'd say, well, I am not going to rob that guy. Because if you do, that's where you end up. So it's been common in this day to see crucifixion. Here's what's uncommon. Uh, April and I were talking about this the other day. I hope you downloaded the Easter Now app. Um, changed our Good Friday forever. Like Friday is that app kind of gave us, you know, alerts. And we're at every time it's popping up on our phone saying at this time this would have happened. Man, it changed our Friday. But we started asking the question, where would the leaders of the church be at Jesus' crucifixion? And that's a simple answer. They couldn't be around it. They're in the middle of festival. They're in the middle of feast. They can't be around blood because what if, what if something happened and it got on them? They couldn't celebrate. So these people that had put Jesus up for this cross are now eerily distant at his death. You know, I, as I was preparing this, I started asking myself, what is Easter really all about? And I came down to Matthew 27, verse 11. That'll be our start point today. Matthew 27, verse 11, it says, Now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. And Jesus answered, You have said it. And while he was being accused by the chief of priests and elders, he didn't answer. When Pilate said to him, Don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him on even one charge, so the governor was greatly amazed. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who is that do you want me to release to you, Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called Messiah? I want you to know for a second. He could have just said Jesus. 
What is he really saying here? You call him this not Messiah? You know what I'm going to call him? Messiah. Let's see how that plays out. So who do you want me to give to you, Barabbas or this Jesus who is called Messiah? For who knew they, uh, they had handed him over before uh, because of, of, of envy? And I think that's really interesting. Verse 18 proves Pilate's insight into the church at the time. They came and brought him there because they were envious of him. Had nothing to do with claims. Even Pilate saw through it. Verse 19. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with this righteous man, for today I've suffered terribly in a dream because of him. The chief priests and elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked him, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. <laughs> Pilate asked him, What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? They said, Why? Um, uh, crucify him. <laughs> I said, well, why? What has he done wrong? They kept shouting, crucify him all the more. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, and this is a terrible scripture, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus to the headquarters and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in uh, a scarlet military robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head and placed a reed in his right hand. And they knelt before him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spit on him, took the reed and kept hitting him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. You know, Easter is always the question, and it leads us to the question, who do I say Jesus is? Who do we say Jesus is today? Because, I mean, I look at Pilate and I go, man, he couldn't see anything in Jesus but good. He was amazed by him. I mean, of all the people that had the right to absolutely become the person at the headline of Jesus' death, it would have been Pilate. But instead... He passed him over to a group of people that are ready to see Jesus die no matter what. You know, it reminds me, if you looked back in the Matthew 16, a, a conversation Jesus has. He's standing around his disciples and he say, who do you say I am? You know, who are the people talking about? And they said, well, you know, some people say that you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. And then Jesus turns and he asks them the question again, but who do you say I am? Only one talks. Remember? Peter pipes up and he says, you are the Messiah. He uses the same word that Pilate uses in accusation. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Easter reveals what we think about Jesus, doesn't it? I don't know if you saw it, but one of our our deacons posted up the egg section at Walmart, completely bare. You know, just somewhere there's hens going, really? I often think about when times of trouble come, what do we, what do we hold on to? What do we yearn for? What are we searching for in our life? When times of pressure come, what do we look to? And, and it reveals itself on the shelf. I was standing about 
two behind a lady at Walmart the other day, and her basket was full. I'm talking full. And, and the lady in between us started talking to someone else and walked off, so it was me right after her. And I said, wow, that's a lot of Easter stuff. And she goes, yeah, I'm excited. I said, that's awesome. How many kids is that for? She said, two. And I looked at her and went, I wish I'd have grown up at your house. Like half that basket was for a kid. That's amazing. Like that's a lot of stuff. And I'm talking like this lady had bought it out. But man, we lean into Easter weird when we don't put Jesus at the first of it, right? Like we get lost in the the trappings. It happens at Christmas the same way and it kind of happens every day the same way if we're being honest. Everything kind of takes its place above Jesus. You know, I look at this story of Jesus and Barabbas and begin to wonder what Barabbas must have thought. I mean, here's a bad dude. I mean, he's, he's notoriously bad. And everybody knows him. I mean, this is the guy that should face a cross. I mean, Barabbas is the one that should die in this story. And that day, I, I can't help but think that the governor calls everybody together and, and uh, they're standing around and he says, okay, here's the deal. Y'all gave me this Jesus, the Messiah guy, and I've got a guy for you. Y'all are going to love this. Bring out Barabbas. And Barabbas comes out and he's going, huh, <laughs> I'm just going to go right back in. Standing on the stage next to Jesus, who he has to look over and go, I don't know what this guy's done, but it must be bad. Who would you have, Jesus or Barabbas? And all of a sudden the crowd goes, give us Barabbas. Can you imagine this moment? You know who's not shocked, by the way? Jesus. Jesus already knows the story is unfolding. You see, that moment where Jesus stands and he looks at Barabbas, he sees the reason he's going to die. He sees the sins of the world. He sees me. He sees you. You know, at any moment in this story, one of the things that we get is the garden experience. He's praying. Judas comes up, gives him a kiss on the cheek. Out come the soldiers. We see a sword is drawn, an ear is cut off. And Jesus goes, whoa. <laughs> Listen, heals the ear and goes, don't you know? If I could call my father in heaven, he'd send a legion of angels to rescue me. So back to this moment. Jesus in chains. Barabbas as his adversary. And he sees Barabbas and he goes, if the world only knew, I could say I'm done and it would be over. Barabbas had to have been a bad guy. He was notorious. In Barabbas' shoes, he's just a player in this. He's the pawn. He's the one that's showing up, and, and frankly, he's just the, I don't know, call it what you want. He's the scapegoat in this. He's, they're going to say, give us Jesus. Jesus is going to walk down, and Barabbas is going to go back to his jail cell. But in this day, they call it to this other guy, and he doesn't know Jesus. We don't know anywhere in Scripture where Barabbas and Jesus have an encounter. But that day, one man's chains fall. Because of the other one. That day, Barabbas' chains are left behind because Jesus entered his story. 
The imprisonment he started with at the first of the day would not go home with Barabbas. He was free. Because Jesus makes chains fall. And he still does that for you and me. He still lays our chains down. Easter reveals what are we trading Jesus for. I often think how we stand as Barabbas too often in life and go, but you don't know how bad I am, Jesus. Hey, crowd, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm thinking right now, Jesus. You don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, Jesus. This shouldn't be a trade. (laughs) Because from Jesus' stance, the next few days, he is going to die for the sins of Barabbas. And it's worth it. And you're worth it. So today, Easter reveals what are you trading Jesus for? Are you trading Jesus for your past or what you're thinking about or what you're going to do or how bad you are? Or will you look at Jesus and say, because of you, I can be free? When I was young, I uh, was given a, a set of cards from my dad's dad, my grandfather. And in it was a gold-plated Nolan Ryan card. And I loved Nolan Ryan. I mean, watched him. We had gone to games to watch him. Uh, it was awesome. But he wasn't my favorite player. My favorite player was a batter named Jose Canseco. And Jose Canseco in my world was awesome. Remember, he's a part of the Bash Brothers. Those of y'all can remember back to that. And so for my world, Jose Canseco was much more valuable to me than my hometown team, the Rangers. So my buddy had about seven Jose Canseco cards. And he looked at me and he said, I'll tell you what, I'll trade you all of these Jose Canseco cards for your one gold-plated Nolan Ryan card. Now, a wise steward would have gone, that doesn't sound very good. But as a fan, I instantly went, great. That gold-plated Nolan Ryan card today is worth about 350 bucks. I've got a whole cluster of Jose Canseco cards at my house today that I can't sell for five. (laughs) It was a bad trade. Let's just talk honestly. Barabbas was a bad trade. Jesus was the good one. Jesus was the valuable one. He is the one that's still valuable. One thing that Scripture doesn't tell us is when Barabbas died, but he did. And so did Jesus, but he rose again. And so his value just keeps getting better and better and better while Barabbas is long gone. It's just a, seems like a bad trade, but here's the part about it. You couldn't have traded. It was out of our hands. Jesus didn't ask your permission to die for you. He still wouldn't. He did it because he wanted to. In fact, Scripture says it pleased God to crush Jesus on your behalf. Isaiah tells us again that by his wounds we are healed. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of God was upon him. All that Barabbas was in that moment was completely overshadowed by the greatness and the holiness of Jesus. And while the crowd thought that they played a role in it, even if they had called out for Barabbas, or for Jesus, they still would have got Barabbas. 
Because Jesus was on a path heading to the cross for you and I. Easter is our sin's cry to crucify Jesus. That day I just can't imagine. As a governor standing there and he's got these two prisoners, one that he can't see anything in, they've already played this game, and the other that's Barabbas. We don't know what led Barabbas there. We don't even know if he was the governor's prisoner, which he very well could have been. All we know is that in this moment, he had to have gone, listen, here's the easy out, and this is the hard out. This is the guy that no one's going to take. This is the throwaway guy. This is the guy that has everything wrong with him. And this is the guy that I can't find anything wrong with except these guys down here are jealous of him. Who do you want? Barabbas. <laughs> really? Now what do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Really? Why? Why crucify this guy? And it just intensifies. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. They're elbowing each other. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. And finally the governor goes, stop. Give him Barabbas. Crucify the Jesus. In fact, he goes so far as to dip his hands in water and this would have been customary for anything that a governor wouldn't want to have been put upon him. And he says, I wipe myself clean of this. And they could have left it at that. But their response is damning in this moment. His blood be on us and on our children. And in that moment, they meant it as a curse. But on us, it is a blessing. Because as much as Jesus' blood would be a curse to those that don't believe in him, for those that do place their life in him, it is a blessing. Because by his wounds, we are healed. What can wash away my sin? Not Barabbas. Not religion. Not a crowd. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So that crowd must have thought they were doing something. But that crowd was crying out because ultimately from the moment I was born until today, I needed a Jesus in my life. I needed forgiveness for my sins. And so that crowd didn't know it, but they were doing Kyle Clayton a favor that day. Because they were leading my Savior to a cross and ultimately to a grave and ultimately to be risen from the dead. So that my sins and your sins could be forgiven for eternity. So that moment, as, as much as we would like to tell the crowd to just shut up, Jesus would have opened their mouths again. Because they weren't in control this moment. Ultimately, the people that would march Jesus to the cross were in control of that moment. None of them had the moment. Because God was marching his best towards a cross so that you would have his best for eternity. So as much as we would have loved to have taken a time machine back and stopped the crowd, I believe Jesus would have said, be quiet. I'm doing this for you. The beauty of the cross is this. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And while it may seem like chaos and so wrong, I mean, a trial at night, accusers that weren't there, false accusations, non-understanding of what Jesus really says, while all of that is swirling around, Jesus stands in a moment and goes, it's okay. I've got this. This is for you. It's been some time back now, but we were planning a trip to Disneyland. We're getting our kids excited about it. We had 
talked about it. We had saved for it. Uh, we drove um, there, stayed at a, a cheap hotel. We went to Disneyland. But as we were planning all that, our kids started getting a heightened sense of the magic of Disney. I don't know if you've ever had this moment, but one day Nolan comes into the room and he goes, Dad, I've got something for you. I'm like, okay. And he must have been, boy, that's been like three years ago, four, five. He brings me a picture of Mickey Mouse. Now, Mickey clearly has no nose, but that's okay. But Mickey Mouse is still in my office for a reason. Because my son made it. My son did this. My son, who I value, made art. And I think it's pretty awesome. I could, I could have just said, name the character, and you could have named it, couldn't you? You could have said, that's Mickey Mouse. And if you had said, well, that's Daffy Duck, I would have said, you need Jesus. And you need to get out of here. <laughs> because that's Mickey Mouse. And so in this moment, I, that's, it's captured my heart. And I loved it, and it's still with me today. And every time I look at it, it makes me smile because... It's what my kids created. My whole office has little moments of, of kid art here and there, everywhere. And in this moment, we, we get the fullness of this story and the fact that God is so pleased with Jesus. As much as we want to say, hey, you know, and God is, you know, Jesus is God and all men. There's so much humanity in Jesus that he has to work through. You know you're coming to a cross. How many of you would just be excited about that? How many going to the Passover feast is really happy to say, this is my body and this is my blood shed for you, and it's about to happen? How many of you sent silently by in a trial that you know you're wrongly accused of everything? but you know it's pointing to a salvation moment and willfully play part, knowing full and well that at any moment, I mean, while they're beating Jesus, he could have said, I'm done. I'm so done with this. And God had gone, okay. I mean, he's stretched out on the cross. He could have said, mm-mm, nope. I don't like nails in my hands and my feet. I'm done. Angels, boom. Up on the cross while he's suffering anguish and and dying on the cross for hours. He could have said, I'm done. This is too much. They're not worth it. I mean, if Jesus truly knows my story, he knows this. When I got saved at seven, I've done a lot of sinning since then. And he knows that in that time when I've, I've struggled and when I've cried out to him, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be free of this. Help me. And then gone right back to it. Jesus had to have known this is for Kyle. So I want you to do me a favor right quick. As you think of the cross, and I want you to get that mental image in your mind of the cross, I want you to repeat the words back to yourself. I'm going to say it for me, and I want you to say it for you. This is for Kyle. Say it for you. This is for, okay, you almost did it. Let's try it again. I'm going to say it. For, you don't say, this is for Kyle. Thank you for that. Yeah, I know he died for me. <laughs> Appreciate that. Um, but I want you to say it for you. This is for Kyle. One more time. This is for Kyle. 
That's the beauty of the cross. Is that he did it so that your sins could be forgiven. He did it so that you could be free. He did it so that you would not simply die. But that you would truly live. We hear in scripture all the time that life is but a mist. It's here one second, gone the next. It's fleeting, so quick. We've seen that in our days, haven't we? People that we wish were still here with us. People that were way too young. And we wish we could go roll that back and take back those moments, but we can't, can we? We can celebrate the ones we have, but I want to tell you one thing I do know. I've got to stand on this stage for several times talking about the life of people that have gone on to be with my Jesus. And while as much as I can tell you about their life this side of heaven, it is nothing compared to that side. They're healed. They're whole. I think about my great-grandfather, who was a farmer, who at the end of his life, after farming so many years, he had the farmer hunch. Y'all seen these guys who have been in the field so long, picking and doing different things that they naturally become a sea walking? Think about my great-grandfather who loved the Lord so deeply. And that that day in heaven, when he breathed and exhaled his last tear, he stood up straight in heaven and breathed in Jesus. That's Easter. That's Easter. Because as much as we talk about the cross on Easter, Easter isn't about a cross, is it? The cross of Jesus, we don't know what happened to it. But if it's like history tells us, it was reused. We don't know about what happened to his clothes after it. We know that they were, they were bartered off. And we don't know if that soldier took it home and hung it up proudly or if he, he sold it to someone else or if he just finally threw it away. I often think about the shroud uh, that everybody says that Jesus was buried under. I often think about that thing doesn't matter either, does it? You see, because that was death. That's not where my Jesus stayed. My Jesus rose again. He took life and he lived it abundantly in front of us without sin. And then he died for our sin and then he rose again to show us that even death couldn't hold those that believed in him down. That's Easter. The last thing is this, by Jesus' blood, he identifies guilt and forgiveness. Here's what I mean. You have two paths today with your sin. You can let Easter be just another Sunday that we get dressed up and we look real happy and we show up with mom and dad to church. I didn't wear a tie today just to prove to you that a pastor cannot wear a tie on Sunday and still preach. You're welcome. <laughs> My dad's going to call me later and say, you didn't wear a tie on Easter Sunday? We need to visit. Uh, Many people go through their whole lives and they'll see the cross and do nothing with it. They'll say, one day I might, or when my kids grow up, I will, or after I get what I want, I will do something. But since we don't know the date or the hour that we'll take our last breath here, they'll leave the cross on a shelf and they'll face an eternity in guilt. 
We call that place hell. And as much as I would like to tell you today there is no such place, God doesn't let anybody go to hell. Hell is a real place that he talks about in Scripture. And apart from it being a lake of fire and a, a terrible place, the number one thing that's the worst is it's completely separated from God. We don't get that this side of heaven because God is faithful. He watches over us. He takes care of us. He meets our needs. We have his provision. He's taking care of us. He gives us life and breath, a morning sun that rises and a moon that rises in the evening and stars that shine. God does that. In hell, his provision stops. His grace stops. The gospel stops. Easter story isn't as sweet that side of of heaven. It's damning. It's guilt. It's forever. As much as I'd never like to preach on hell, I have to. Because it's as real as heaven is. And how much I would desire that you would go to heaven, I want to share you uh, today that I don't want you to go to hell. But it's not what I can do for you. It's not because you came to church today. It doesn't come through showing up on Sundays. It doesn't come through making to every Bible study or even giving your money away. It doesn't happen by anything that you can do. It's because of a cross. It's because of a tomb. It's because of a man that broke that tomb wide open and lives now. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He was the way because he lived a perfect life without sin. He is the truth because he died upon the cross just as he said he would. And he is the life because he didn't stay in a grave. He rose again. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him means this today. It's not based upon our religion. It's not based upon how faithful you are to anything. It's not based upon your merits or your works. Works are an action after faith. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. You can't say the right things. You can't know the right politicians. And although Washington tries to sell us heaven, the best they can sell us is a ticket to hell. It's only Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And today you can know him. If you place your faith in him. The question I have for you today is this. If today I played the 97 Jesus film for you in the sanctuary, And we got to the part where Jesus hung on the cross, would it sadden your heart? Would you stand and say, not my Jesus? Would you tell the people that were showing us, shame on you for showing us a righteous man who someone killed? If I kept the movie playing and you saw Jesus rise from the dead, would you sing about it? Would you stand and would you applaud it? That is Easter is that people would be so broken by the cross and celebrate the tomb so deeply that it's not about showing up on a Sunday because that's not the end. The end of Jesus' story is not just that he rose again. He lives. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. Remember that song? Remember how it ends? He lives. He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. 
and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. That's someone like it. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. So let me ask you this, Easter people. Does Jesus live in your heart? You know, every time we end our service, we have a time of invitation. And it's a time that we hope that you would do something. Not just stand, not just sing, but pray. Ask that God would speak into your heart. That maybe he would change you, lead you to give him your life. And as much as I, I pray that over you, I also pray this for those that do follow Jesus, that you would come and lay that baggage down that you keep picking up and trying to follow after Jesus. That's why we have a place to kneel that up here. So I'm going to give you a chance to start invitation differently today. With your eyes open, I want you to stand. So go ahead. Stand with me this morning. As you're standing, I want to call you to a question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he a teacher? Is he a, I don't know, a prophet, Bible writer, scholar? Or is he the Messiah? Is he the one that saves you? Is he in your heart? So today, we're about to close our eyes and pray. And as we do, I'm going to ask you the question again. Who do you say Jesus is? Because this is not the end. It's just your beginning. Give him your life. Declare today that Jesus is your Savior, your Lord, your Messiah. Let's be Easter people. Bow your head and close your eyes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, move in this place. God, we want to be Easter kind of people. But Lord, to do that, we need a Jesus in our life. So Lord, speak over us. Speak through us. Be mighty on our behalf. Remind us, God, that you are pleased to get Jesus in this way. So Father, today I declare for me, I'm pleased to give him my life. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. And I desperately need him. So, Father, lead us in a time of invitation to give you our all. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we sing.